Our Bible reading this morning is from Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 to 4. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called Oaks of Righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. That reading from Isaiah 61 talked about the year of the Lord's favour. Sounds good, doesn't it? But what does it mean precisely? The word translated favour carries a range of meanings. Goodwill, acceptance, delight, pleasure. So it looks like the prophet Isaiah is saying that because he has been anointed by the Spirit of God, he's able to tell people that this year will be the year in which God is favourably disposed towards them. This is the year when they can be assured of God's goodwill. This is the year in which they will find acceptance, when God will take delight in them and will be pleased to show them kindness and save them. It's a year when you can have complete confidence that God is on your side. He is there for you. He's going to answer your prayers. He is going to do you good. In the ancient world, finding and securing the favour of God was really important. If you were going to undertake any kind of risky venture and the outcome was outside of your control, you would very much want to know whether God was on your side or not, because that would, of course, improve your chances of success. The Romans, up to the time of Jesus, were particularly careful to pay a lot of attention to this. An ox or another animal would be sacrificed, and experts would examine the animal's liver. And the right-hand lobe of the liver was deemed to be the friendly side. And if that looked good and healthy, then that boded well for you. And the left-hand side, well, that was the unfriendly side. If that didn't look quite so good, then that meant that things might not turn out quite so well for your opponents. And in the early days of the Senate, they would not conduct any business unless the omens from looking at the liver of an ox were favourable. And the people, the people who were in charge of this, it was their job to keep sacrificing animals until such time as you got a favourable reading. In an age when the will of God was inscrutable and the various deities on offer were frequently capricious and unpredictable, people set great store by these and other means of trying to find out what mood the gods were in that particular day. And before we just dismiss that as as primitive superstition, let's recognise that loads of people today 
read their horoscopes on a daily basis in the paper to find out, is this going to be a good day for me or not? Is this a good day to go shopping or to ask someone to marry me or to apply for a different job? It's exactly the same kind of mentality. If we call it primitive superstition, it's still alive and well in some sectors of our society. Yet the prophet Isaiah claims to have a hotline to God. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he says, and he's anointed me to tell you that this is the year of the Lord's favour. And he spells out what that means in practice. God is going to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted. God is going to set prisoners and captives free. He's going to vindicate his people against everyone who oppresses them. He's going to comfort those who mourn. He's going to replace the ashes they wear on their heads as signs of mourning and desolation with a crown. And those who grieve will be anointed with the oil of gladness. Those subject to a spirit of despair will be given a fresh set of clothes in which they can praise God. And those whose lives have been uprooted will be planted again by God. It will be called the oaks of righteousness, big, strong, long-lived trees. Cities that have been ruined and devastated for generations will be rebuilt and inhabited again. It is a year of change for the better, of transformation and renewal. It's not just that you can have confidence that things will go right for you. In the coming year, it's the promise that this will be the year in which God sets right everything that's gone wrong. So which year is it? That's the question. Which is the year in which everything comes right for God's people? Conceivably, Isaiah is talking about that amazing year when God's people came to the the end of their exile in Babylon. With the sudden collapse of the Babylonian Empire, they were all told told that they could go home. And the brokenhearted were comforted. The captives were released. Ruined cities were re-inhabited. Yeah, there's there's a problem with that in some ways, because if you read the prophecy and it's full of words of hope for the future, and you think, well, all that applied to that that big event years ago, what, what, what does that prophecy have to say to us now? Yes, there was the year of the Lord's favour, but I'm sorry you weren't around for it. You missed it. And as well, those who came back from captivity to, the, to their homeland found actually it was, it was much harder and tougher than they expected. And so they continued to cling on to the promise that the, that the time would come when God would show favour to his people. People read these words from Isaiah with the hope and expectation that at some point in the future, God would show them his unconditional favour. And then, in the middle of nowhere, in a run-of-a-mill village called Nazareth, the son of a local carpenter stands up in the synagogue one day and reads that passage and sits down and says, today, that scripture has come true. And the sheer audacity of the claim beggars belief. People remember seeing Jesus running around the village as a snotty nosed little kid. Amazed that this carpenter's son, this, this son of Joseph, who they know so well, could possibly claim any such thing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to tell you that this is the year of the Lord's favour. And so Jesus knows that they won't ever really accept him because they were never really going to allow him to grow up and forge his own identity. Be aware of that danger where children have grown up and become adults in this church. Jesus knew he would always be pigeonholed, categorised, labelled as, oh that's 
Joseph and Mary's son, he's a carpenter, isn't he? Yet Jesus knew that he'd been anointed by the Spirit of God at his baptism. And he knew that those words uttered centuries before by Isaiah found their fulfillment in him. He was anointed to bring good news to the poor. He had been commissioned to declare the year of the Lord's favour. And wherever he went, he took the good news in word and in deed that God's kingdom was coming. God was setting right what was wrong, bringing order into chaos, lifting up those who are bowed down, welcoming and including the outcasts, forgiving and accepting those who are beyond the pale. Those who were oppressed were set free. The blind had their sight restored to them. Even the dead were raised. Yes, that period when Jesus exercised his ministry was the time when God showed unconditional favour to his people. Those with eyes to see could see that God was at work among them in powerful ways. There were even those who had the faith to see that in Jesus, God himself had come among them, changing lives, bringing his kingdom, bringing acceptance and forgiveness and new life and transformation. The time when Jesus was at work was definitely the year of the Lord's favour. There's no doubt that Isaiah's prophecy really did find its fulfilment in Jesus. And yet, where does that leave us? Because again, we're left looking backwards to that year or two years or three years, however long, it was, however long ago it was. Yeah, that, that was the time when God's favour was apparent. But what about us now as we lead up these, read these words of promise? How much good are they if we keep having to look backwards to the time when they were fulfilled in the past? How can these words give us hope for the future if they've already found their fulfilment and completion? Do we have to read these words and conclude... They're just not written for us. Well, I have to be honest and say they're not written for you directly. I can't stand here this morning and say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me with the Spirit to tell you that 2015 is going to be the year of the Lord's favour for you. The year when everything will go right, the year when God will take delight in answering all of your prayers without exception. I would love to be able to say that. 2015 is going to be that year, but it would be dishonest of me, so I won't. So what do those words have to say to us? Do they still have some kind of message for us? If Jesus has come, the one of whom this prophecy speaks, what relevance do these words have to us as those who believe in him? Well, there is good news, actually. Because the coming of Jesus into the world is the ultimate sign of God's constant favour and goodwill towards us. Over the Christmas period, if you come to church, I can almost guarantee that you will hear that passage in Luke's Gospel where the angels appear to the shepherds and sing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. Some translations use use it more literally, on, on men of goodwill not saying that if you're a good bloke, God will give you his peace, but the goodwill is God's. The angels are saying because Jesus is born, God is showing favour to his people. Because Jesus is born, God is showing goodwill to his people. Because Jesus has come into the world, this is the time when God accepts his people and delights in his people. Because of Jesus, we are recipients of God's goodwill, of God's favour. 
We are accepted by God. We are those in whom God delights. We are those with whom God is pleased. So it's not just one year that we might blink and miss. The era of God's favour, the era of God's acceptance and love and willingness to listen to and answer our prayers and to take our needs on board, that has arrived with the coming of Jesus. Jesus proclaims the year of God's favour when he preaches in Nazareth because he knows he was anointed by the Spirit when he's baptised. But the reason he was anointed by the Spirit when he's baptised was because he is God's Son. The one who comes into the world is the ultimate sign and guarantee that God looks upon his people with favour and with delight and with acceptance and with goodwill. So the coming of Jesus then means that we can always approach God with confidence. We don't need to disembowel an ox and examine its entrails to see what does God feel today? Is he favourably disposed towards me or is he a bit fed up with me today? Is he going to be on my side or is he going to be against me? Does he love me today or is he just a bit cool towards me today? Jesus is the guarantee that every day God is with you. Every day God is there for you. Every day is a day of God's steadfast love. Every day is a day of God's favour and goodwill. Every day is a day of God's unconditional acceptance. Every day is a day when God will hear and take on board your prayers and concerns. Every day is a day in which God is with you as you seek to live for him. God is always there for you, always there with you, totally committed to standing alongside you, whatever it is that you face. Not just next year, but at all times. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ isn't capricious or unpredictable. He's utterly faithful. And in Jesus, he has bound himself to show you steadfast love at every place, at every time. And that doesn't change depending what way the wind is blowing or which flocks of birds are flying around in which direction or, or what you might find when you cut open your Sunday roast when you get home. And we need to know that. Because when things go wrong, as they do, when illness or troubles come our way, as they can do, often we think, well, you know, is God angry with me? Has God kind of removed himself from me? Has God turned his back or or forgotten me? Have I done something to deserve or earn God's displeasure? And we ask ourselves these kind of questions because we simplistically suppose that if God is looking after us, then everything will go fine all the time. And that's not how it works. Having God with you doesn't mean a trouble-free passage through life. It's not that simple. He doesn't guarantee us an easy ride, but he does guarantee his presence with us at all times. His grace in any and every situation. The constancy of his steadfast love. Taking on board our prayers and working with us to find a way through whatever it is we face. So I can't stand here and say that 2015 is going to be a great year for you because it's the year of the Lord's favour. But I can say that throughout that year, God will be constantly, favourably disposed towards you. He will listen to your prayers. He will be with you in any and every situation. And I can say that not because God has given me a special anointing to say that, but because Jesus has come. 
If you put your trust in Jesus, you are people in whom God delights, people in whom God shows his favour, people whom God unconditionally accepts, people with whom God will travel at every stage of their life's journey. Jesus is the sign that God is on your side. He accepts you and delights in you and his heart is full of goodwill towards you. And whatever happens, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us.